the FT. Welcome back to Energy Week with me, Carol Ahoyos. I'm stepping into Ed's shoes this week. He's off at a conference in Canada. I'm joined this week by Javier Blas, our commodities correspondent. Hello. And Andrew Child, assistant UK news editor. Hello. A little later in the program, you'll also hear from Fiona Harvey, who's our environment correspondent and who has been talking to senior officials in Greece about how green investment is going to turn around the Greek economy. Over the past seven days, we've had several energy stories. The two big ones continue to be the BP spill. And secondly, the UK election, which is, of course, going to have a knock-on effect on UK energy policy. So let's start with the BP spill. Javier, where's the oil at the moment? And what are the concerns as as we sit here today? Well, the, the main concern right now is that the spill could travel far away from the US Gulf of Mexico into reaching Florida and into the Atlantic if it gets into something that is called loop uh, current uh, that it just travels from the Gulf of Mexico into the, the proper Atlantic Ocean. BP is doing what he says that he can't just to try to control the spill. They have attached a pipe into one of the pipes under sea and they are removing some of the oil directly into a new ship. But still, four weeks after the uh, the platform, uh, BP has been unable to control the spill. The top hat didn't work and now this funnel is working partially. What makes this spill so much more difficult than than others in past history? Well, because we are in, in uncharted territory, deep water, offshore, and very difficult conditions. All the new equipment is uh, brand new technology, uh, most of it untested. And we are beginning mm. to see what means untested is that, you know, you have never done anything similar and use when you have an accident. It's also untested solutions for that kind of accidents. But this could also be uh, more of a, a window to what we should be expecting in the future because all of the new oil that we are discovering or most of the new production that is going to be coming on a stream in the next five to ten years are going to be uh, it's going to be from areas such as the the deep waters of mm. the Gulf of Mexico similar in Brazil similar in Angola or Nigeria so companies are going to need to develop uh, techniques to try to uh, deal with these uh, kind of situations. And I'm assuming the fallout in Washington from this is going to end up with, with tighter regulations that will require some of the uh, the companies to be that's, more ready than, than that's, they were That's for sure. We, we are seeing that, that Washington is heading for, for tighter regulation. The question is, are we going to see those new regulations that Washington want to impose in deep water uh, oil exploration elsewhere? Will be the Brazilian authorities implementing something similar? Will the Angolans do something similar? Because at the end of the day, the challenge of the industry, it's exactly the same whether you are in the waters of the U.S. in the Gulf of Mexico or whether you are in the waters of the Brazilian down in, in the Atlantic. Yeah. And if that happens, Washington new regulations are uh, just spread beyond that and just to other countries, the increase in cost for the oil companies could be very important. But we have a we have a precedent uh, to this, and and it's something I've been looking at for the last couple of days. Piper Alpha platform, a gas platform, not a rig, uh, exploded in July 1988 in the UK's North Sea, killing more than 100 people and causing massive regulatory changes in the UK two years later, including some of the things that the US is now thinking about, including uh, the splitting of the regulatory body. I'm astounded that the US didn't 
look earlier at what happened at Piper Alpha and what happened in the UK, and it took this kind of accident. I think we have a b- bigger chance now that the, that the regulation is going to spread. Also, one of the difference was that the North Sea was a very challenging environment for, for, for working, and the regulations were a lot tighter after Piper Alpha uh, in the UK, North Sea, and also in the Norwegian North Sea that in the, in the Gulf of Mexico. But it has not been until very recently that oil companies in the, in the Gulf of Mexico have gone to the really difficult stuff, going really offshore and at deep water. Yeah. At the beginning was just nearby the coast, uh, under less than 50 meters of water uh, uh, and also the other than the hurricanes, uh, the Gulf of Mexico is a, is a really nice place to be working. <laughs> it's hot and warm. It's not the North Sea. Um, one last thing on BP I wanted to mention, which I think is interesting, a story today, that some of the dispersants that are being used on the oil that's flowing out are banned in the UK, but not by the EPA in the US. So as you mentioned, Javier, you know, there are the, all these all these different regulations and they don't seem to look or learn from it each makes, other. It makes the, the life of the oil companies more, yeah. more difficult. It is, a, it is a chemical that you can use in the UK, but you cannot in the US or vice versa. It's going to be the regulation in, in offshore uh, drilling uh, different in the in the US that is going to be in Brazil. Uh, mm-hmm. While all of those chains are going to be uh, looking for oil more, more burdensome. But at the end of the day, what the accident had demonstrated is that you need tighter regulation because because these accidents happen, and the oil companies, uh, obviously, at least BP was not uh, not not well enough equipped to to deal with it. Thanks, Javier. Talking of making life more difficult for energy companies, often elections make life more difficult for energy companies, and um, hung parliaments probably even more so. Andrew Child, who's our assistant UK News editor, has been looking at how the election may affect energy policy, and specifically, kind of. Walk us through who is running the energy brief. Is it the Conservatives or is it the Lib Dems? And what does that mean for for the industry? We're in this remarkable situation in which the junior partners in the new coalition government, the Liberal Democrats, are opposed to um, some fundamental energy policies of the Conservatives, namely the next generation of nuclear power. And furthermore, uh, Chris Hune, the new Energy and Climate Change Secretary, is a Liberal Democrat. Mm -hmm. So this is posing some problems. They seem to have settled on a fudge which should, on the face of it, work. Um, in which the Liberal Democrats can argue against the policy, whilst when it comes to the the vote that will throw this whole process forward, the national policy statement, they they will abstain. What they, however, have agreed on is that there will be no government subsidy for the next generation of nuclear power. There may be other incentives, but certainly not a subsidy. And I guess the industry is arguing, the nuclear industry is arguing, that's all right with us as long as there's a subsidy for low carbon types of fuels and nuclear is included in, in, in that list. Is that likely to be the case? I think so. I mean, I think what the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives agree on is some sort of price support for carbon permits, which will, in effect, support all low carbon industries. What I should say is that the main reason the Liberal Democrats at least publicly say they oppose this new generation of nuclear power is is on cost grounds. But I think the problem is that given that we're possibly looking at an energy gap coming, you know, as soon as 2018, there really isn't any serious alternative. We may not like nuclear power. We're we're sort of uncertain about it. The the issues of cleanup haven't been resolved. But, you know, the other technologies they're talking about, um, carbon capture and storage, it's, it's not a proven 
technology. Furthermore, the Liberal Democrats would advocate an expansion of wind power, which just isn't sustainable. You just couldn't get enough wind farms Mm -hmm. produced in that time. You talk about nuclear being one of the only options um, for the UK going forward. How important is, Javier, I'll throw this one to you, the UK kind of internationally in terms of nuclear energy and, and demand going forward? And is it the only country that's grappling with this green energy question? Uh, do you do nuclear? Do you do you go for renewables? And how does this fit into job creation and other things? I hear Greece is one of the latest countries that is looking at this and, and, and making quite positive no- noises. But you, you know of the example of Spain where where it's had more mixed results? Well, it, 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 it has. I mean, it just the country is still relying a lot on, on nuclear power. It still has made huge advances on, on renewable energy. But at the end of the day, without huge subsidies, uh, renewable energy has not been a success in, in Spain. And now the government is cast straps so is thinking about cutting subsidies for for wind and solar power and and then of course the the industry is screaming that they cannot work without subsidies so that's just telling you something is fundamentally wrong about the, the the green energy when it cannot use war without without the subsidies but no the uk is just asking himself a question that many other european and, and western countries are, are asking is how we use plan our future energy mix for the next 10 20 25 years uh, the us is discussing that in europe we have uh, discussions in germany italy spain and france about the future of nuclear power and each country is taking a different path and it is not only on western countries if you go to China, India, or even the Middle East with huge gas and, and oil reserves. Every country is thinking where we put our chips for the next 25 years of, of electricity supply. And a lot of the countries are saying, uh, well, you know what, we have oil, we have gas, uh, we have hydropower and coal, but we do need some, some nuclear. And you see more and more nuclear reactors being built, particularly in the developing world. In the end, it appears that we will be dependent on oil and gas for some time to come as renewables are expensive and not that easy to decide on. And that leaves us dependent on companies like BP and others who venture into more and more dangerous territories and more and more risky operations. Now, here's Fiona Harvey, our environment correspondent. I'm at the FT's Mediterranean Sustainable Energy Summit in Athens. The Prime Minister of Greece, George Papandreou, is here at the conference where he has been talking about the need for Greece to embrace a green development model. There are opportunities here, not only in creating a different political atmosphere, but in highlighting the possibilities of a different model of development. He said the government was creating a better environment for investors. As green economy is a priority, we have brought a number of laws to the parliament which create a better environment for investment. In the past, gaining planning permission has been very difficult owing to local objections to projects and because of the sheer complexity of the process, with wind developers having to contact more than 40 separate government agencies in order to gain permission for a single new wind farm. We would like to be able to show that Greece can, in certain areas, be the frontrunner the new laws promised to make that much easier. Mr Papandreou also emphasised that, as well as sweeping away bureaucracy, his government was attempting to deal with corruption and to make reforms to the public sector that would improve the climate for green investors. He talked about the importance of partnerships across the Mediterranean to pursue renewable energy and to build the infrastructure, such as new electricity grid connections, that will deliver that energy around Europe. So we could have, in fact, an amazing product here 
that is both viable, eco-friendly, but also competitive. Mr Papandreou's message to renewable energy investors was that from now on, they would be dealing with a new Greece and not the Greece of the past. That was Fiona Harvey from Athens. Javier and Andrew, thanks for joining me. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Energy Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.